Welcome to the 5 More Minutes Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is uh, the third episode um, in in this series, actually the second one that's um, interviews and conversations. And today we are talking about the concept of should. Um, and so this is connected to the YouTube video that's called Don't Should On Me at the 5moreminutes.com website. So if you haven't gone, see, gone to see that, go check that out first. Because today we're talking about how we should on people, we should on them all the time. Um, when I think about this, I think about my own experience in school. Everyone knows that I had a hard time in school. and um, But, you know, it's not just kids that we, that we do this to. Um, we absolutely should on families and also each other. Uh, we should on educators all the time. So the three people that we're talking to today are all educators. Um, they're in leader, different leadership positions, but they're all um, either teachers or started out as teachers. I think all of them would actually still identify themselves as teachers. But each of them are going to take on a different perspective um, from this kind of should lens. Um, we have... Um, Kim Ondrick, who is a principal, and she is going to talk about kind of, you know, how the importance of, uh, of really limiting the shoulds and the, and the effects of that when working with kids. Um, she's a principal at the Mill Bay Nature School on the island, on Vancouver Island. And then we have Leighton Schnellert, who I know you've heard me talk a lot about. Uh, we, we go back, we go way back. And he is a professor at the University of British Columbia and does a lot of work around teacher uh, professional development. So he's going to talk about this through the teacher perspective. And then I have Donna Kozak, who I have uh, met along my my uh, student and teacher travels. Uh, we're PhD students together, and she works in the Central Okanagan School District in Kelowna. And she's going to talk about um, the importance of limiting our shoulds to families and parents. Uh, she works with a lot of families around early literacy and supporting students um, in the home. So all three, all three of these individuals um, have experience working with individuals um, in, in different capacities. But, but why I chose these three specifically is because I think all of them have really um, deep connections working with people who have felt kind of disenfranchised by the educational system, um, which, which is what I'm realizing is really connected to, you know, the, the, the more that people are shit on, the more they're disenfranchised. Um, and so we're going to talk about them and see how the word should or the concept of should has influenced their work and in their context and field. So yeah, I'm excited to share those interviews with you. Okay, hello. So here I am with Kim Ondrick. And uh, Kim, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you for joining me on my five minute podcast. I'm totally honored to be here. You know, what's so funny is this podcast is not five minutes at all. That's good. <laughs> that's okay, right? I never can talk so, for just five I mean, minutes. So what's, that's good. what's a minute? I mean, <laughs> or well, let's just redefine language. Okay, <laughs> uh, in time. Um, so Kim is a principal. What's your school? I'm actually a head learner. That's how I prefer to call it. Oh, you know, so I'm funny. more than the kids every day. You know, what's so funny is I was going to describe how I knew Kim and I know Kim from, uh, because you were one of the co-creators of, uh, the Vernon community school. Right. And so how, how I met Kim was this kind of like innovative, incredible learner mm. teacher who, who led this incredible school. And so that's how, so that's how I know you, but I guess like, what do you, like, how do you describe yourself? Uh, in the field 
Yeah, a learner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, I think a tinkerer, an experimenter. Yeah, always trying to sort out what's the best kind of. How do you create the best ecology yeah. for all kinds of yeah. humans to develop and grow? And, and allow myself space to de- develop and grow too. And, and what I find really interesting and why you really stood out to me is I think, um, you know, we talk a lot about the skills of 21st century learners, but we all, we don't talk a lot about the skills of 21st century educators. And mm. so I think part of what I really was drawn to you by is that you're such a model of a 21st century educator. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, cool. like being um, like open and vulnerable to be a learner and not be an expert, which is very traditionally what teachers mm. are taught to be. Right. Mm. So, Kim, the reason why I really wanted you on this particular podcast is because, um, as you know, this podcast is connected to a video, and the video this week is about um, really trying to move away from standardization and this concept of, like, this concept of shoulding, you know, like, like, like this, the should that we put on kids, mm-hmm. and, um, and I know from my experience as a student, like, I really experienced that, of really, you know, teachers saying this is where you should be this is what you should be doing and I just was never there but it wasn't like often I felt like people thought it was my fault that I wasn't there Mm -hmm. but I feel like the navigation of you know students in the system is there a place for kids who will never get where they should be and what does it mean to be should and so one thing that I've really admired about your practice and leadership is you've kind of found space for kids to not have to should you know, kind of those disenfranchised learners whose school hasn't worked for, mm. they're finding su- such success in your school. And so I just wondered if you wanted to speak to that a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think for me, I was someone who was good at doing the shoulds. Right. And felt lonely and sad in that because I lost my identity. So mm. it, interesting how some of us were shitted on and, and it discouraged us and, yeah. and others of us were able to step into that, but it, it really skewed our identity as well. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so why is this important to me? Because in order to grow as a human being, you need to be allowed to grow from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And shooting, I think, the idea of uh, that there's some place that you need to be going or you mm-hmm. should be going mm-hmm. is rooted more in, in our materialistic kind of notion of mm-hmm. that, that success is about performance and it's about um, accumulation and it's about being a superstar mm-hmm. or something. And so sometimes I think what people say at, at the shoulds that are dumped on kids, there is a deeper intention that this will really help you have a good life mm-hmm. as though we can know what a good life is for any yeah. other human. And what I feel like we're really noticing is there's kids who are playing by all the rules. They're doing everything right. They're, they're being where they should be and what they should be doing. Yet they get to be adulthood and there's something missing. Oh, it's my life. You know, Completely. totally. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's, and I love how you mentioned that identity piece, because I think that, you know, traditionally education was about making everyone the same and, and that mm-hmm. in itself is removing identity. And so where, what I'm really excited about in education right now is this idea of it's about finding identity, not losing identity. And, and that's one thing that I've really found in the learners that you work with for sure. Yeah. And I guess one thing I would say that I've noticed um, from having my own kids too, and being around kids since I was little, cause I love children is the more you impose your will on other people, mm-hmm. a, cu- a couple of things happen. Either people conform and start to like want to please you and brush mm-hmm. your hair and like hang yeah, on yeah. you, which is annoying. <laughs> or they have a lot of counter will, which is mm-hmm. Gordon Newfeld's notion oh, of sure. like pushback. Yeah. And so there isn't, it, it almost like eliminates the opportunity of just natural growth mm-hmm. and emergence because you either are pushing against mm-hmm. these expectations or you're going, oh, okay, okay, that's where I'm supposed to go. So yeah. 
I, I think it's a huge problem and mm. probably one of the main reasons why humans don't develop is shitting on them. Oh, and, and I mean, and I'm going to be talking to Leighton and Donna about like, this isn't just about kids. Like we shit on teachers, we shit mm. on parents. And, and I think like... Teachers shit on themselves too. Totally. A lot. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So Kim, why don't you tell me a little bit about your school? Like what makes your school different? So which school are you talking about now? You know what? That's a good question. Why don't we start with Vernon Community School and then shift to what your context is now? Okay. So Vernon Community School was established as an academy originally Mm -hmm. in Vernon um, because we, uh, my co-creator, Murray Saskis and I, who, a little shout out to Murray. Hi, Murray. uh, Premier's Award uh, for Excellence in Community Engagement. He's amazing. Just saying. Yeah. Um, Anyways, he and I noticed that we were really being complicit in a system that was shitting on kids. And even though we weren't personally doing that, it didn't really matter. So we knew we had to step out of that and uh, started exploring with community members, like what kind of education system can help people maybe become more of what they could be. Mm-hmm. And we had a meeting in the community and like over 200 people came wow. and it was this You know it's a need parting of hey? the Red Sea moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just kind of wrapped my arms around myself and sort of cried a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we co-created with the school the kids and the families and really not the system. Mm-hmm. Um, Vernon Community School, mm-hmm. which was a, a, originally a place a, a learning and, and growing ecology and we really looked at creating the ecology, not looked mm-hmm. at practices or content or Mm. just really the core competencies yeah um uh looking at children's identity young Mm -hmm. people's identity um unlearning a lot of the like a lot of the 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 shit that was on them was like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. how how to clean up all the shit what was the age range of so it started grade uh so grade seven so traditionally kids were around 12 to kids that were in grade nine, so yeah. around 15, I guess. So this is going to be the question that people are going to be thinking about. It'd be like, this sounds amazing, but how did assessment fit into all of this? Oh, that's easy. I love that you said that, because <laughs> I think so too, but yeah. not everybody thinks that. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so we would take up topics and projects. Um, our school is, is uh, Mindful Teaching and Learning. Vernon Community School is the kind of our branding is Mindful Teaching and Learning rooted in social justice. Mm-hmm. So we would, every day would be very mindfully, not constructed before the kids were there, but mm-hmm. co-constructed with them. And there's always other other stuff going on and problems to solve. Totally. Constantly. Yeah. We also live democracy. Yeah. So all decisions were made in, in a That's democratic so cool. way, which drove mm-hmm. the kids crazy. Well, it's so messy. Yeah. And yeah. governance was very messy at the beginning, and Murray and I said we wouldn't be bylaw officers, so that really threw everyone into a tizzy, because <laughs> uh, bylaw officers should on people. So we they kind of, sure do. We kind of moved out of that role, yeah. and and whatever we took up, we allowed um, uh, more project-based, so kids could take up any topic, mm-hmm. Orange Shirt Day, residential schools, any way they wanted, yeah, yeah. and they all presented their learning to each yeah. other. In um, multiple ways. In multiple this ways. this is what I love. If you follow Kim of on Twitter, like, what, what I love is that it's really disrupting that discourse that the only way to learn is through reading and writing. Oh, yeah. Which is still important. Like, those things still happen, mm-hmm. but... Well, the only... reading and writing came, though. Like, because we... Yeah, there yeah. wasn't... Yeah. So this hegemonic idea yeah. that that's the only way. And this, and this is what I'm realizing is that we're not abandoning reading and writing, but it's no longer the only way. And actually only looking at learning that way is very colonial. Oh, yeah. Right? Absolutely. And so part of, like... 
embracing indigenous ways of knowing is opening up how we show and understand learning. And so that's what I really took from Vernon Community School. And the other thing I really like, if you could speak to this, is how you brought in community mentors. Yeah, so we had and continue to have there um, around 40 people from the community volunteer yeah. their time. And what I really remember is being like constantly thinking, should I, should I, I was should, shitting yeah. myself, uh, should I be like thanking these people or giving them presents or like, yeah, how do yeah, I do this? Yeah. And after the first year, we all met together and uh, brainstormed what it was like. And it was an unbelievable kind of reckoning mm-hmm. of how much people in the community benefit yeah. through the reciprocity of that relationship, right? Yeah. And they were like, I love this. And isn't that just the goal? Like the gift of giving back? Well, I, I didn't even know what was going to happen, right? Well, it, it was, was constructed, which is the point. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you are now? Okay. So I got the opportunity to move to Vancouver Island, to the mm-hmm. Couch and Valley. Um, beautiful. Invited, beautiful. Beautiful there. Lots of ocean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, nice breeze. Uh, less smoke than the Okanagan. Uh, There's been such bad forest fires. It's so true. So I'm invited to go there because I'm sort of um, known a little bit as a disruptor. So got to go (laughs) to help start up a school that the district was wanting to try some different things and uh, was super stoked about that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm at Mill Bay, at Mill Bay Nature School, which we probably, I'm hoping we won't be called that forever. I'm hoping mm. we'll be gifted with a name at some point. Yeah, yeah. So working right now with um, 80 children in K-3. to mm-hmm. um, And it's nature-based, meaning it's both outside for most of the day, but also it's natural. Yeah, so no yeah. shitting. No shitting allowed. Right, right? Yeah. And just like, and what I love about that is, is it's so place-based. Yeah, place-based, okay. playful. Yeah, yeah. Um, forcing all the adults to stop shitting on themselves and totally. to just embrace complexity yeah, yeah. and that working with lots of diverse learners is yeah. really hard work and mm-hmm. sometimes impossible work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's exciting to watch mm-hmm. the children be creative on the field with all sorts of loose parts and junk. Right. None of them are asking to go to computers or screens and mm-hmm. none of them are bored. Well, and what's fascinating is I find the more connected you are to place and the, in nature and the outdoors, the less accommodations you have to make. Absolutely. Right? Like kids know how to play outside. And if they don't, they learn very, very quickly. Or the kids who just need the sensory, they, they their just, sensory needs so are being more, met, right? No, and I think, you know, sometimes <clears throat> we forget that kids in primary grades, they're not miniature high school students. Right. Right? Like that there is a pedagogy of primary that's different yeah. than middle school, that's different from our intermediate. And, and I think, you know, even. Um, like my partner went to um, a farm-based school for in Delta uh, for high school students. And I'm like, this isn't just for primary either. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do we interact with the outdoors? Because that's actually what we're experts in. Well, and the weird, have par- the weird in. part is I always have sort of taught indoors, I guess. And yeah, yeah. now that I'm outside, like today at lunch, I just wanted to go outside and yeah. eat because I'm more comfortable now being outside because yeah, yeah. I'm outside more. Yeah. And even if it's a rainy day, Kids are taking their shoes off. Like yeah. kids are shitting on themselves actually because they're coming up to me going, yeah. "Is it okay? Like, sh- is it okay that we're we don't have our socks on and we're in the mud?" <laughs> and I'm like, uh, "I don't know. Yeah. Uh, is that okay?" And then I say to them, "Are you? Sh- do you think it's okay?" Yeah, I think it's okay. Like, All right, sure? I think it's yeah. okay. Let's <laughs> see like, what happens. Yeah, because they're like, "You're the principal, so you're, I'm supposed to somehow think like say that it's not okay." You have all the answers. I know. So yeah, I'm like, yeah. "Yeah, I don't have a problem." Mm-hmm. One day, a teacher was trading, saying, "Do you want to try this food, or do you want to try this food?" Yeah. While we were um, at the beach, and um, a child comes up to me, who goes in grade three, victory goes, uh, "Is this allowed? Yeah, yeah, should she be doing this?" And I said, "I don't be doing what? Yeah, should be she be trading food with us?" Like, I don't know, is that allowed? Yeah, and, yeah. and I said to him, I don't know. Do you think it should be allowed? Yeah. He goes, 
I think you should be allowed. Okay, okay let's allow it. Then. It's so okay. funny, and it, and it shows you like how kids quickly internalize. Well, they quickly learn the game. Oh yeah, right. And I find um, like as as our curriculum is changing, we have this group of kids that are coming up that are like the game is changing, but I like the game. I like yes. how it's changing. I'm good at the game. I'm good at this game, and you know what? The, like. I can learn different ways to play this game. But then we have this kind of group in the middle that they learned how to play the game and it was hard to play the game. And now we're changing the game and it's high school. And so we kind of have this group of learners that we're trying to disrupt. But it's how to exist in traditional settings has been so ingrained and they're really struggling and so it's really knowing like how do you support the discourse and how do you support Mm -hmm. the transition because I think that more and more the skills that we're looking at some of these alternate settings are actually what we all need to be embracing a little Mm -hmm. more hey Mm -hmm. it's the world they're going into it's so true Mm -hmm. it's so true we're not organized by the year of our birth anywhere else in the world nope right nope we're not born the same year and we're talking to each other I'm can, learning from can you other. Is that okay? Yeah, I is don't know. That, is that okay? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kim, I really appreciate you spending this time with me. I feel like we're going to have more conversations on this podcast. I think um, it'd be good. Can I say one more story? I was going to say, like, do you have any I last, have one last, last thing to things say. to say for sure? So one thing I have noticed at Mill Bay is that children who have been either mentored by their parents or an aunt or somebody in their life... Mm-hmm. Um, by adults who don't shit on themselves, mm-hmm. have a different, even the days that I'm tempted, say I'm out in the field and someone complains and why can't I play in this area? And and this happened the other day. I walked over and said, hey guys, how come you're not including these other kids? I don't understand. And this child just turned around very nonchalantly. She's been at her school for maybe two mm-hmm. weeks without getting defensive, obviously never been shit on, yeah, just yeah. looks at me and she goes, you know, I hadn't really thought of it that way. <gasps> I just saw that we were playing this way, and okay, that makes more sense. I never considered that. Yeah, and that's what my hope would be for all humans, Mm -hmm. that we could, instead of thinking we're bad, that we didn't notice. Yeah, yeah. That that you could go, okay, that's a different perspective. I never thought about that. She's six. And it's not about being wrong. No, exactly. And that is a very different way of thinking. It's not jud- it's non-judgmental. So that's yeah. what shitting does is it yeah, creates yeah. judgment. And judgment makes yeah. fear and shame and yeah. all the things that are attached I just, to that. So. I think, Kim, you give me a lot of hope um, because I think that... A lot of people know that education needs to change, but they don't know what to change, to change it to. Mm. And I think what I've really taken from the stories that I've heard you tell, this is just such a snippet of mm. what you have to share. But what I've really taken away is this idea that, you know, it's okay if you don't know what it could be. It's just making room to try something new. And, and with children will show us the and way. And they will. And, mm-hmm. and releasing ourselves the burden of the structure. Yeah. And I think we have more creativity than we think. And mm-hmm. I think it's being okay with the discomfort and okay that we don't need to shit on ourselves it's so which you're going to talk about with it's so true so well kim thank you thank you Shelley. i appreciate you so much and i you know i bet people are gonna listen to me be like get kim back on here and i'll be like okay 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 thank okay. you kim bye hi everybody so here we are for our next interview which is one of uh with one of my Favorite people ever. Hello, Leighton Schnellert. Hello, Sally Moore. So if you don't know Leighton and my story, we go way back, don't we? Indeed we Indeed do. Indeed we do. This podcast is connected to a video um, that talks about how we should on kids. And the, and why I kind of wanted Leighton on here is because if you don't know the story, Leighton taught me. I taught you in grade eight and grade, grade nine. Grade eight and nine. I had a boxed perm. 
for one of the years. Yes. For one of the years, it's true. Um, and what's really interesting about that is if you're not aware of kind of my growing up in school, I had a hard time in school. And so how I originally met Leighton was I kind of went to this alternate education setting where Leighton taught me. And this setting was kind of, the school was kind of the first place that I felt like I belonged a little bit, which is interesting because that's what we're talking about in this particular podcast is room for kids that need to find their place in the world. We were happy to have you. Uh, and couldn't believe that you were dismissed from your previous school. Well, all I have to say is he can't get rid of me now because how many years ago is that? 16 years ago. Oh my goodness. 26 years ago? 26 years ago. Oh my goodness. Well, both of us had less gray hair than we do now. We'll take a selfie for, for Instagram later. <laughs> but actually, you know, the, the reason why Leighton is here is is not really to talk about kids. What Leighton is really known for now is teacher education. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your role in the province? I'm a professor. And so I'm a researcher based at UBC. I was in uh, UBC Okanagan for the last seven years. And before that, I was at um, Simon Fraser University. Mm -hmm. But the through line in my research is teacher professional development. Yeah. And so... It's my chance to work with colleagues, and mm -hmm. I'm what's described as a community-engaged researcher. So I, I research with the community versus mm -hmm. studying people. Right. I research with. And what I find really interesting about your role, Leighton, is um, a really big question that I get in terms of the shifting education is people will be like, well, what about pre-service teachers? Like, what's happening at the post-secondary level to kind of disrupt the kind of historical structures in education and I always say go look up Leighton's work because I think in a way that I find educators are disrupting schools you're kind of disrupting the university land and it's kind of exciting to watch. Well it is an idea in the literature mm -hmm. especially social justice oriented teacher education literature which mm -hmm. is um, teacher education is an opportunity to disrupt right and so we just really need to seize upon it mm -hmm. and I think um, I'm not the only person who does it. I think the way that I've done it, though, is part of the disruption is by saying what could be. And so by partnering with um, educators and schools that are doing this kind of work, and by this kind of work, I mean transformation-oriented work that um, nurtures kids' identities as um, not just learners but as citizens mm -hmm. and recasting our notion of schooling to be more education mm -hmm. um transformation oriented yeah. um, it's allowed me to not just work with the teacher candidates so that they can see and be disrupted in their their conception of schooling based on their experience mm -hmm. but it also allows me to support teachers and schools who are doing this good work yeah. and notice that work yeah. and nurture that work because often they're quite isolated in the work that they're doing. So then my kind of question to you is, um, our, pod, our podcast, the video that it's connected to, the theme is Don't Shit On Me, which is kind of my favorite slogan right now. Uh, both as a student, I felt it, but also as a teacher, I felt it. And so my question is, how does this manifest in the, in the teacher setting? Like, why is it important to not shit on teachers either? It's oh, a very interesting question. How are we gonna get into this? Hmm. Um, a few, a couple decades ago, there was something that happened in the United States in research called No Child Left Behind. I remember it, that well. And it really narrowed what could be researched in the States or get funded mm -hmm. in terms of empirical research. And it really got this um, label attached to it around best practices, things right. that are best practices that are empirically proven that are researched. Mm -hmm. And a number of academics in the States actually came to Canada if they could and took big research mm -hmm. shares because that whole discourse became 
um, here are the things that have been studied. It's the way. We'll now go do this thing yeah, yeah. because it's improving and it's entirely counter to most educational thinking from a philosophy yeah. or a pedagogy yeah. perspective, which is learning happens in context, in relation. And if you just take a practice and apply it like a menu yeah. or a recipe, yeah. it's like paint drying on a wall. Totally. And so there's a real tension between um, philosophic research mm. that is taking up not just um, looking for best practices, mm -hmm. but is actually seeking to understand how educators are professionals mm -hmm. engaging with learners in really complex, situated ways mm -hmm. where they have to draw from theory and practice and context mm -hmm. to all, all work, of them to work with their learners in yeah. ways that are educative, not yeah. just um, treating kids like individuals who can have replication studies done on them right, right. to apply other studies. Well, and it's funny because I remember you and I went to a conference once. And uh, and I was and I was talking to you about best practice, and you kind of we were walking across a crosswalk. I, I think we were in Las Vegas. No, it wasn't Las Vegas. You forgot your passport that time. Where were we before that? And we were in a conference, and we were walking across the street, and we had just come from the conference hall. And I was talking to you about best practice, and you said to me, "Well, it's not necessarily that it's the best, but it can be effective." And what I kind of really took from that is is you can have effective practice and it not be the only way to do things. And I think that. Uh, effective practice can look different to different teachers because they're not just trying to replicate, but they're navigating the conditions and the research and the practice and the context and, and making that meaningful for them. Some of the colleagues that I work with who I really respect um, in my circle of scholar practitioners mm -hmm. or teacher researchers yeah. talk about wise practice. <gasps> That's even and better. So how are we making decisions yeah, using yeah. wisdom to draw on and make sense of? And so yeah. we're always learning. We're, we look to research and theory and draw that into yeah. our practice, yeah. but we need to be engaged in conscious cycles of inquiring, wondering, mm -hmm. nurturing, developing because yeah. education and teaching is much more um, eclectic or um, there's a French word, um, bricolage. You, have to, you need <gasps> yes. to be a bricolure. You're like a handyman. You need different things to put yeah. together. Yeah. But that takes wisdom. Yeah. And, um, and experience. The, well, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The wisdom of practice yeah. Yeah. comes from that experience. But you can practice and get somewhere that isn't actually hitting anywhere. Yeah. So you yeah. do need to draw on theory and research as well. Mm -hmm. But you have to do it in ways that are... Um, thoughtful, mm. humble, adaptive. And so we talk about in, just like in the student or child research, um, we talk about it in as adaptive expertise. And so yeah. Helen Temperley has talked about that extensively mm. around teacher professional development. And, and what I love about that, and I think as a student who struggled, I always, like I never felt like I could get to this destination that people were trying to get me to. And so I feel like in the teaching world, sometimes that's what it feels like too. And it becomes very overwhelming and then people stop moving and so what I kind of hear is like how are we supporting the evolution of wisdom and experience as opposed to trying to get educators to the same destination all the time and doing the same thing and following the same script part of it's how we position educators yeah that's true if we see them as thinkers and yeah. we nurture them as creators yeah. and possibilizers yeah. then what's happening is cycles of yeah. finding things making sense of things always wondering mm -hmm. but if there's a sense of i'm supposed to get to this destination mm -hmm. either you're not going to move past that destination yeah. or that destination doesn't make sense yeah. and either you um you feel guilty yeah or you disengage, yeah, yeah. or you learn to not trust those things because yeah. they can't possibly be true if they're not possible. Totally. And so I guess, you know, thinking about this from like 
a structure or a systemic point of view. Like if every teacher is developing themselves in their different ways, honoring their own diversity, how do you, like, I don't want to use the word accountability because that's not what I'm going for, but how do you ensure the growth if the assessment isn't the destination? Well, I wonder if the word you're looking for is professional responsibility. That's a really, so, that's way better, yeah. Um, we have a responsibility yeah. as professionals, mm-hmm. but if you don't have, feel ownership yeah, for your yeah, own yeah. responsibility, then you're either performing for someone else which is, or, or just yeah. lost trying to do things. And we have a really complicated history in North America of, well, now we're doing this. And so everybody, right. let's do this and let's teach right. you how to do that. And then we move on before you can gain any wisdom. Right, right, and right. because the pace of learning and the complexity of it mm-hmm. is um, so fulsome, yeah. it's really tricky to make any headway if mm-hmm. you're just going to new topics, new things, or looking Jumping to others for to things all the time. So Yet, mm-hmm. I would say that there is a key point to draw research and theory into your professional development, yeah. particularly in collaboration with others, because we develop our practice in a social way. And practice is socially constructed, Don't not research constructed. Uh, research is what we is how there's we There's a t-shirt. It. Want to go into business? As you know, no, I would not. <laughs> Oh, Layton, I could listen to you forever. You guys are both disruptors. And, and th- co-disruptors. And, and co-disruptors and co-researchers. And, and I think you'll meet Don as well, who's another oh, partner of totally. ours. totally. And I think, you know, um, I, I feel very lucky to be mentored by you and, and people in our community. And uh, I think even when I was, you know, starting to go on the path of, like, you know, a speaker and a and a... Staff, like a professional development mm-hmm. staff working, developer. staff development. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that there was there's two very clear paths I could have taken and you really supported me to build on this idea of expertise as opposed to this expert model. And so and I think we've talked about this before, like the importance of knowing that there isn't a way, it's not the way. It's about really facilitating and I love that the wisdom that's within all of us and, and honoring those I know you use the term funds of knowledge mm-hmm. in our in our teachers as much as our kids. We all have funds of knowledge. Exactly. We all have resources that we draw from yeah. that are attached not just to our experiences but our mm-hmm. identities. And so when yeah. we recognize that we're drawing on different things mm-hmm. and that we have different things to offer, not just collaboration, but learning overall becomes yeah. not just richer, but more complex. And yeah, so we yeah. really are, Kim and I love to use ecological metaphors, yes, but we could yes. also use more like a, a knitting or an afghan or yeah. a quilt, like some kind of, yeah. what are we making it? We're, we're, it's, it's thicker. It's wo- woven. Well, it's, it's woven yeah. with different fabrics, I think is the key thing too. It's not a synthetic thing produced on in a factory. Mm-hmm. It's something that's made on your own mm-hmm. Um, in your own device or from I taught you art from it's an true. art perspective you what not, you put in the kiln yeah. is the thing you put in the kiln versus yeah. let's all make the same thing and to you put may in not know what comes out at the kiln of the kiln at the end well it's going to surprise you right? and it's going to crack and break <laughs> and chip right but, but that's, that's how happen. the sun gets in thanks Leonard Cohen okay I know that people are going to ask me for where they can learn more about this who are your big thinkers attached to this idea <sighs> what's the idea well this idea of just like cultivating wisdom in our professionals and professional responsibility oh wow I know Um, give us some like you know like a good five oh sure 
Um, I think that probably Nell Noddings <gasps> of course. is um, really important because oh, she talks about so relate. Well, she talks about relational care. Yeah, yeah. And so and even cold, even when you yeah. think you're giving care, yeah, it may not be received by somebody else. To a more organic, relational, emergent kind of approach, which is who are you? What are you offering? How can I learn from you? And anybody who's in a leadership role should be taking the stance of how can I learn from someone of difference and how can they teach me? Okay, so of course, Nell Noddings, absolutely, who else? Um, Maxine Green is oh, really important yes. for me because she talks about wide awakeness. And my understanding of that work is that, or maybe how I take it up in my own work, is that wide awakeness isn't a state that you get to. Mm -hmm. It's a constant process of becoming awake through your experience mm -hmm. and encountering others and being open to not just criticality, yeah. but understanding the partialness of what we know mm -hmm. and that we can always build it. And I think that moves mm -hmm. researchers like myself in a yeah. particular way if you take up that way of knowing. Because instead of me saying, look at my career, look what I've achieved, it's more like, look what I don't know yet. <gasps> look what I'm seeking out and who can I learn that way. That's with. a pretty vulnerable state. It, a lot of this is about vulnerability. That's so true, which is very different than how us teachers were raised. Well, some uh, it's there's mm -hmm. there's it's not like this is new, right? I know, I know. John Dewey, yeah, yeah. Um, Lev Vygotsky, um, these are these are really uh, Plato, Aristotle. So why do you think like why if this is so established and like old, why are we why are we so far from this in well, our? We talked about structural education. ideas earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like to challenge the notion of structure, yeah, which is yeah. we create a structure to limit something yeah. and then it becomes this notion of best practice or right thing versus yeah. moving knowledge forward. I'm less interested in a replication study mm -hmm. or a control group yeah. and more interested in nurturing every human yeah. and every group from where oh, they are to grow something That's to like, contribute uniquely yeah. instead of get to the same place. That's like speaking to every parent's heart right now. Well, parents? Yeah family members, yeah. co-parents like myself, yeah, yeah. Um, what do we hold deeply in our heart? Yeah, yeah. It's that our child has something special that could be brought yeah. forth. And you want people to see that. Well, it's often not welcomed. That's so true. That tells the story of a lot of kids. And yet, yeah. look at what happened for you. Yeah. Instead of shitting you, mm -hmm. we were able to say, what are you offering us? Mm -hmm. And to see what you've grown yeah. into who you are is beyond who I am, Shelly, in many ways. Ugh. Because your practice and what you bring to it yeah. is what you bring to it. And so instead of us comparing us to yeah, each other yeah. or you saying, I want to be like Leighton, mm -hmm. instead you say, how can I draw from Leighton yeah. as a learning colleague, but also what can I contribute? And then yeah. I just have to be gentle with myself when you <laughs> yell things at me and say, this is her learning process and she's contributing right now. Leighton knows me well enough to know that I need support sometimes. <laughs> You're, you're a passionate human it's true. who um, is always striving to live what you believe. Well, that I think is true. And I think that's a really good note to end our conversation. Well, one little shit quote? Yeah. Okay. Or example? Yeah. Um, if our topic is why should we not shit on teachers? Yeah. Then I would really like to suggest that um, some of our most creative, yeah. talented educators are not those that pop out to say oh they're the people yeah they're either quietly doing the work mm -hmm. or they're doing it on the margins mm -hmm. because they can't figure out how to fit into a yeah. structure that is yeah. colonial 
limiting mm-hmm. or from that paradigm yeah. which is telling and so like why not should find them, yeah. we need what well, we need to say mm-hmm. let's welcome in all voices and then create conditions that say i can't wait to see what you want to learn because as soon as we start shooting mm-hmm. it makes people go shallowly yeah. into yeah, their profession so instead of deeply engaged well layton I, I, you've kind of left me a little speechless. I don't even really know what to say. Um, I think that uh, if you're listening to this, you can see why I love this human being um, and I've learned so much from him. And I really actually encourage you to look him up because one thing that I think Leighton you're very good at, and we've talked about this idea of knowledge dissemination and how are we getting these ideas in a way that's accessible. And Leighton has done an incredible series of videos that I will link to this podcast for sure. um, If you want to learn more about the work that he does throughout British Columbia and the world. And uh, I know that you're a very humble person and a very gentle leader yourself. And so it's also this opportunity to really thank you for the work you do and I know that you work very very hard uh, fighting against the grain in a lot of ways and so know that your voice is listened to and heard and you're making a difference that's lovely Shelly thank you we love you. you we love you I am here with the last of our interviews Donna Kozak hi Donna hi Shelly so Donna is actually joining us through Skype. She is in Kelowna. Is it cold there? You know what? It's not too bad. It's overcast. It's um it is so cold here and we you know we just got a puppy, right? Yes. So I think that she's having a hard time sleeping in the crate all alone because she's cold. And so this is my reason for her to come sleep with me. Why wouldn't she be sleeping in bed with you? Well, exactly <laughs> what I think. So, you know, we might have to address the crate training schedule. We shall see. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, so Donna, uh, before we begin, why don't you tell a little bit about little bit about who you are in the world of education? Okay, I've been around a long time in education. This is probably, if I do the math correctly, my thirty fourth year. Um, I started out as a primary teacher yeah. and became interested in literacy early on, realizing it was so foundational and critical. To that is so true to who we are and what we do. So I pursued a master's degree at University of Victoria early on in my career and then um, was lucky enough to be hired as an itinerant resource teacher for children identified as having learning disabilities, Okay. typically typically in literacy. Did that for a while, um, then uh, created a literacy intervention program in middle school for... Is this all in BC? Yeah, this is all in Kelowna. Oh, okay, yeah. For teachers who, or for rather for children who um, hadn't learned how to read yet. Yeah. Then realized that really um, the issue wasn't so much with the kids. The issue was with what we were doing with them early on in their careers in yeah. school. Yeah. And how we were framing and um, introducing them to the world of literacy. Yeah. So I've been in early learning since. Um, yeah. That's probably 15 years now. And uh, my passion is around working with teachers and helping them to understand how to create conditions for kids to become literate. Literate. And what I love about what I love about literacy, especially now, is the changing definition of literacy and how it's really moved away from just like decoding sounds to like just like understanding the world. It makes it it makes it so much. It's such a more inclusive definition because. Every, every person I've ever known can read, even if they can't decode, you know? 
That's right. That's right. This is why I love you. So Donna and I actually, you know, I was trying to think about this last night because um, Donna and I, we share a super, a PhD supervisor, but when was the first (laughs) time we met? Like I'm trying to, I was trying to think back last night, like how did we originally meet? Well, it was through our super human, um, yeah, supervisor. Supervisor, yeah. <laughs> and it was at a cross currents conference <gasps> cross early currents. on, like seven yeah. or eight years ago. That's so true. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You were so young then. You I was just... a baby. I probably yeah. just wore toques all day because that's what I did back then. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, I just, I, I remember, you know, like you've just become such a kindred spirit with me. And um, sure. the thing about doing PhD work is that we get to go on, con- we get to go to conferences together with us. Yeah. And, and uh, so our last one we went to was Austin and we just had a blast. We did. Yeah. Hey, the food there, fantastic. So, you know, Donna's one of those people that you find and you put in your pocket to carry with you through life. I have uh-huh. to say that. And it's quite mutual. Oh, you're such a dumb. <laughs> so now I have to kind of give some backstory on this because so our supervisor is Layton, who is also being interviewed in this podcast. Um, so you'll you'll uh, remember him. But I was talking to Layton about this episode and I was just like, Layton, Layton, my next podcast is going to be about shooting. And he goes, you have to talk to Donna. You have to talk to Donna. She has the best shooting story. And so I forced Donna to Skype with me to tell her shooting <laughs> story. So my next question for you is this word should... How did this influence you and kind of how has it become significant to you in your kind of career, in your life path? Well, it, it, became, it began with a bit of a defining moment. And I've really come to realize how when you look back on your life, there yeah. are certain moments that define you. And this one did. At the time, it seemed really inconsequential. But yeah. little did I know how uh, massive it would become in influencing the path I would take, especially uh, going down the PhD route with research. So I, um, in my role as early learning and literacy coordinator, um, I developed a curriculum, I guess you could call it, for schools to use around bringing in parents of preschoolers yeah. to talk to uh, to talk to them about um, how to get their kids ready for school. Right. So basically it's, um, this is what you need to do um, for your child to be ready for kindergarten. This is what we need from you. Like from so at home? Yeah. So yeah. that your your child is ready for us. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So this was the perspective and worldview that I very unconsciously was coming from yeah. with the best of intentions. Yeah. So I did many of these presentations and there was, we created PowerPoints and we created materials so that schools could just plug it in and run with it. Yeah. As opposed to having to recreate it every time. And so, so there's a bit of, a standardized message. So there, this right? was like for like basically schools would offer to parents and parents would come and see this. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's under, under the auspices of family literacy. Got it. Got it. Okay. Family yeah. literacy programs. Okay. So one, it was uh, one evening, and I was doing my spiel and talking to um, a group of parents, lovely parents. And what we did is we separated the kids. They went off to one space, and we had the parents in the other space. I was rattling off my my um, <laughs> my lecture, I guess, yeah. talking to them about what they should be doing in the home to get their kids ready for kindergarten. And um, I finished and got a round of applause and yeah. then, um, a hand went up and I always enjoyed questions. Yeah. And this mom, I guess this woman said to me, well, thank you very much for your very valuable information. I just want to maybe suggest to you that you not use the word should so much when you're talking to us. <gasps> Whoa. So that really, in, in the moment, I was a bit taken aback. I thought, oh, 
I'm being challenged. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but it stayed with me. It was a defining moment in that it really had me question myself, my yeah. identity, my positionality, my role. Yeah. And it made me realize that there is a hidden presumption of power in right. where it should when we use it. That's for so sure. true. And when we're in relationship with others, which we want to be as teachers with parents, um, it made me realize that we tend, we being teachers, yeah. or maybe I should frame it as I being a teacher, yeah. I had this presumption of authority to right. speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that made me wonder, well, where did this come from? Where did my teacher identity get shaped? Right. How did I how did I um, acquire this authority to speak to parents or to speak over parents mm-hmm. um, in this particular way? What gave me the right to should? What gave me the that's such the a good question. That's so true. And so and so how do you see like how how has it changed your practice like in terms of because I know that you still support family for early especially early family literacy like what's your how has your approach changed? Well, I think I now realize that um, when we speak um, the way we do as teachers, we're coming from a, a hierarchical position. Yeah. And it made me wonder, well, how did I get there? And I realize now that we, we are actually socialized yeah. um, into being that way. We're socialized through a worldview that says you're the expert, you're the teacher, you oh, have the so authority yeah. to, to speak and to make certain demands, I guess, not demands, yeah, maybe demands, of, uh, of your expectations of what parents should be doing. Yeah. Um, in their relationship with you when you when you share a child. And it made me realize, too, that we do that all the time. We yeah. do that um, when, we, when we ask them to come to school for, let's say, parent-teacher conferences. Yeah. They should come. And when they don't come, we make certain assumptions and presumptions. Yeah. And typically it lends itself towards um, an ideology of deficiency yeah. because then we think, oh, my goodness, um, these people um, aren't measuring up. They're yeah. not. Um, there are certain things that are wrong. We need to fix them. We need to tell them. We need to shoot them. Yeah, yeah. When I was school based, you know, thinking about my the parents that would come in and like it wasn't a celebration to them, you know. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of wondered why. But if you think about, you know, what we're using that time for it. They're really like should interviews is what was what they are. Absolutely. And, and I think like, I love how Leighton uses funds of knowledge. Right. Right. And, and this idea of, you know, what are people bringing, you know, whether it's kids <laughs> or teachers or, or, or families and parents, because yeah, everything you say is just so, it's so true. So when you talk about um, honoring what other people bring and everybody yeah. brings um, their, their cultural wealth, their cultural yeah. uh, capital, and they bring their worldviews and they bring their funds of knowledge. Um, and I think that we should disempower should. Yeah. I think we should just get, I think we should get rid of should. <laughs> should get rid of should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think disempowering should means actually coming to realize and becoming conscious of the words that we do use and language does matter. Yeah, and does. that when we're in relationship with parents, um, thinking about how can we make it more of a dialogue than a monologue? Right. Because when we speak um, on behalf or we speak for or we speak to, it's it's a one-way 
um, it's, a it's a monologue, as opposed to thinking about what can I uh, get from this person through dialogue? How can right. this be more reciprocal? How can we yeah. both um, gain from coming together and mm -hmm. having a conversation, which is something yeah. that um, we, we tend to, to do really well at communicating to. Yeah, yeah, but, but not with. Um, conversing with yeah I think and I think the the part that go. that is scary about that is that when you go into a meeting with the goal of with instead of to right you don't know what the end product is going to be yes and teachers like we were we were trained to like you need to know your destination right like it, it's it's very uncomfortable the process in the middle and so I think part of this also is trusting that you know, something might be constructed together. And if there's anything I've learned through this work, it's exactly that. Like the, what we construct together is so much more powerful than trying to get other people to adhere to your agenda. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And just, uh, just realizing the power imbalance that historically yeah. we, we have uh, lived within yeah. in, in the school system and particularly, um, with parents and how we, uh, we tend to be less invitational and more demanding, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Well, Donna, my last question is just like, if you were to give advice to new teachers coming out, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. would be kind of something that you would want them to hold on to? Well, I, having worked with new teachers a long time, That's true. Um, I always, <laughs> I always um, invite them. I don't, I try not to should them. Yeah, I yeah. invite <laughs> them to consider uh, that families that um, lend us their children mm -hmm. for a short time have a lot to offer. They're, they're actually resources. And mm -hmm. if we view them through that lens as opposed to um, viewing them as an imposition on, on our business and yeah. what we have to do, yeah. that it, it makes life so much easier if we reach out and try to, to build a relationship, particularly with the ones that are interested in developing a relationship. Not yeah. all of them are. Yeah. And how uh, we have to differentiate the way that we work with parents, just like we do with kids. Yeah. And that parents come with different needs and that to be in relationship with them is to understand what those needs are. Oh, it's just like the kids. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We can't treat them as a homogeneous group no, no. and expect the same thing from all of them. They all that, bring different that stories. That is so true. And, that's... and I think it's up to us to learn yeah. those stories. Yeah. Learn the stories and be responsive to the stories. Exactly. Oh, Donna, this is a book waiting to be written. Oh, you're, <laughs> can I write it with you, shall we? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, it would be interesting, though, like, because, you know, there's themes that are coming up in these interviews, and all of them are exactly the same, like, regardless, really? like, regardless of, of who our audience is. Mm -hmm. Like, this, it's exactly what you say. It's this power, this hierarchical power. Right. You know, and whether it's kids or parents or teachers, it's, it's about... What the theme here is diversity, right? Like it's exactly everyone yeah. is diverse and it cannot look the same. And there's been this misunderstanding, um, especially with the this video that's come out, is that the the opposite of standardization is just abandoning all goals, right? Which is which is not what we're talking about here. Like no, you know, it's responding to parents and to two teachers yeah. and to kids can still be like you know goal based, but it doesn't have to be standardized. And I think that that's been a really big learning for me. And I think it comes down to authoring because mm -hmm. in the word authority is the word authoring. Oh, so true. Or the root is authoring. And how can we author together and be co-authors? Yeah. 
as opposed to imposing our authorship on others, our authority. On oh, others. Donna, that's a quote for a meme that's going to be written. Okay, great. Because that's so good. That's so good. Maybe we can put it on merchandise. Uh, you know what? Let's make a t-shirt. <laughs> I love it. We already have a Don't Shit On Me t-shirt. It's in the shop if anyone's interested. Um, I saw them. They're beautiful. I know, right? (laughs) Uh, I'm definitely going to get a couple. Well, Donna, thank you for spending this time with me this morning. It's an absolute delight. Pleasure and and honor. And enjoy. It's Remembrance Day long weekend, so spend some time remembering and also also take some time for you. Okay. Thank you. Thanks so much, Donna. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, bye. Well, there we have it. Another podcast um, with three incredible interviews. I'm so fortunate to know all three of these people. Um, my takeaways from today, there were such clear themes between every, every everyone we talked to. Um, but some ones that really stood out for me is really trying to support teaching and learning away, move away from this idea of um, learning as a recipe or about the goal being about replication and frequency, but really shifting to this idea that learning is collaborative it needs to be done in context. Um, and just the, the really big idea is, you know, that that's that singing through is that turning it teaching and learning is, is really about identity. And, and the big risk in the concept of shooting is that it's supporting the loss of identities. And so um, the question that I'm really leaving today with is how do we make education um about finding and supporting identity rather than trying to remove it, which which is really um, tricky because that's how education started. That was the goal. One uh, thing that Leighton said that I just absolutely love and I'm going to hold on to is this this idea of wise practice. Um, you know, it, it absolutely draws on theory and research, um, but it needs to be built on through collaborative expertise, um, not just with other teachers, but with students and with families. Um, and our practice needs to be connected to context and experiences. And and the quote that I love is, you know, practice is not research constructed, it's research based. And so this isn't an abandonment of research and theory, um, but it is about, you know, it's not enough. It's not enough to just be based in research and theory. Um, what I really took from Kim is, I don't know, I don't know, I should probably like find her parents and thank them because I don't know where she got this incredible, like, um, freedom for innovation. I just, I learned so much from her because she sees what's possible, which, which I can appreciate is hard in education. If you, you know, we know when a lot of things don't work, but sometimes it's hard to know, well, what's the alternative? And so what she really has taught me is just to kind of give ourselves permission to break free of this kind of limiting hierarchical power and um, traditional structures that are really quite colonialized, which is what Donna really reminded me. Um, and just allow ourselves to be innovative and make room for something new. Because I think that educators, like, we're, we're creative people. And and I think if we, you know, and so are kids and so are parents. And I think if we kind of allow ourselves room t- to really use that creativity, um, education could look a lot different. Um, I'm not going to shoot on you, though. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you. Thank you, Donna, for that word. I'm going to invite you to be a disruptor, a thinker, 
um, a learner and a possibilizer. Um, I love that one too, that word. Um, embrace that vulnerability, um, be, hope, be humble, be open, and just really accepting that education is not about being right, um, but it is about moving forward and learning from others, especially others who are different from us. Because everyone has funds of knowledge and um, it's connected to our experiences and who we are and we, and we draw on those identities as resources. Um, but part of that and part of, I think, our role is you know learning those stories. And really, um, I love what Donna said about co-authoring some new ones and, and you know creating that through dialogues, not monologues. That's going to be a quote. And that in doing this, this is how the should is going to be dismantled and unlearned. Um, my last takeaway is about professional responsibility because I know that there's a lot of conversation right now in North America about accountability and educators and I think that it, it's, I don't like that word. And, and so Leighton really found a nice replacement for that that still honors our professional responsibility because I do believe we have them as educators, but it's about the ownership that we have, not us performing for other people. And so when I, when I thought about that, I realized that my slogan that has kind of, um, you know, as I reflected on my career, the slogan that I've kind of developed for myself around professional responsibility has really been drawn from the work of Barry Bennett. Um, who came and did a professional development with us when I was school-based. And I remember it was very early in my career. I think it was in year three. And he came in and he said to all of us, he said, you know, how many of you are refined at a practice that you don't believe in? And that really hit me hard because, you know, I went to school in special education and I realized that I was getting really good at the practice of special education. But I realized that I didn't, you know, I went into special education not to become a special educator. I went into special education to become an inclusive educator because because of the experience I had in school and how and how hard it was for me. And so I think that I really connected to kind of the conversations today because what I what I'm really taking away from today is this idea that you know, the job, of course it's our job to develop our practice, but really, I think what the difference between developing practice and professional responsibility is, is professional responsibility to me is really bringing together, not just the practice, but bringing together of the practice with our beliefs. Because I really believe that, like, teachers get this, we get this, parents get this, kids get this, but we're sometimes put in some some really, really, um, really firm boxes. And so I, I think that, you know, this is going to look different in different places and to different people, but where can we find room for us to start, you know, pushing some boundaries and becoming that dismantler because that's how we're going to start to bridge our philosophy and our practice. And so this to me has really become my professional responsibility is what, what can I do to, um, disrupt some of that discourse. Um, and last but not least, if you are listening to this podcast, whether you are a student, a teacher, whether you are a parent, whether you are a grandparent, an administrator, um, regardless of your role and your experiences, I know that we are all guilty of doing this to ourselves. And I want just to send as a last kind of note here, a reminder to be gentle on ourselves and to support ourselves, um, a reminder that you are enough. And to everyone else who's listening, um, let's... Let's keep that in mind and let's really support each other by building each other up. Um, 
because I think the most shitting that happens is on the internet. And oh my goodness, I think that if that if there was one wish for social media, that would be it, is just to allow people to be enough. So with that, I will sign off. Let's all remember that. Our kids are enough, our parents are enough, you are enough, we are enough, and um, I can't wait to see you next time. So there we have another recorded podcast. Can you even believe it? We were top 10 in education. We were hanging out with Tony Robbins. Like who would have thought? So um, yeah, no, keep liking and subscribing. Let's let's give some, let's give Tony a little run for his money. Um, but yeah, no, you can find five some five more minutes on YouTube and Twitter and all of the places. But um, our next podcast is going to actually be so next week is a video strategy, which will be released on YouTube, which will be a strategy connected to this idea of should that we can use in our classrooms or schools. And then the week after that, um, which is week four, is the actual another podcast where I get to share stories from you so last week we had some great stories from a few different individuals and they're just emails that people have sent me so if you have a story connected to um, this month's video and podcast please send them to me um, or even some questions if you have some questions um, because I think that it's okay to have questions because yeah no we're learning we're figuring things out and it's messy so if you do just send me an email um, the email is five more minutes at gmail.com and yeah no and um, I'll go through them and if there's some that are really important to share and uh, I'll read those out next um, in week four at week four I forget the date it's the last week of November um, because it's kind of nice to, to hear from people all around the world and what this is looking like um, in different places so the other the other part is um, something that's really really important to this podcast um, not just the podcast but the video and all of the content is um, when we were developing this my cousin and I it was very important to us that we keep content free. We do not want teachers or parents paying for any of this. Um, and so we are looking for sponsors to kind of help us uh, with continued content development. We we do have, we have secured some, some really great sponsors. Um, and so um, because we've been getting such great feedback, we really want to keep this going. So if you're interested in that, send me an email. Um, there's different, different ways that you can support. But if you are a parent or a teacher, do not email me because I don't want a penny from either of you. I think that way too much money comes out of your pockets already. So if you're an organization or if you're a school district or if you're a community organization and you're interested in supporting this for our for our um, people who are doing the work in the classrooms and in, in our homes, uh, send me an email because I would, I would love to feature you and um, have you a part of this part of this initiative. Um, so other than that, I think I think that's it for today. Um, it is also Remembrance Day, so make sure you take some moments to um, remember our soldiers and our troops because I think it's really important to remember that history in many ways. So um, that's what I'm going to go do. We're going to go with uh, a nice little walk, Remembrance Day walk with my pooches and my wife and just kind of enjoy this really nice, a really nice Sunday. So everybody, I will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. And, and a, a big, big thank you to Leighton, Kim, and Donna. You can find five more minutes on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, 
Instagram, and on 5moreminutes.com. Make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.